I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, everyone. I'm Jordana Horn, and I'm here with my new friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hello again. Today, Dr. Adam Stern and I are going to be talking about Probably one of my favorite shows on television, possibly ever, Succession. And I know that uh, Adam has very strong feelings about the show as well. Absolutely. And and it's been one of the most widely requested shows among our listeners so far. So, uh, you know, I think we're going to have a good conversation. Yeah, it's really a shame. It's a, it's a shame, Adam, that everybody's totally psychologically in perfect health. <laughs> we really have nothing to discuss yeah, this show. Out. There's plenty to get into here. I don't yeah, know if we're going to put it all in. <laughs> there is. It's a, it's a veritable variety bag of pathologies. So I think that we'll start by dissecting the patriarch to end all patriarchs, uh, Logan Roy, and then we can take it from there. So, Adam, when you look at Logan Roy, the head of the Roy clan, the, the pinnacle of Waystar, Royco, and this entire media empire. Mm-hmm. What do you see in him as a person? What I see is an unending drive for essentially uh, achievement, greed, getting the most for himself in whatever situation he's in. Right. That so what, is- kind of, what, what kind of, uh, I'm just going to stop you there to yeah. just ask, what kind of person is that? In a, a, ba- like- a bad person. <laughs> Well, don't we conventionally call it an ambitious person or a Mm. pull yourself up by your bootstraps person? How do we differentiate between ambition and unbridled greed? Oh, I love that question because now we're getting into a little bit almost more into the the philosophical realm than the psychiatric uh, Mm. because I think to me – one of the things that separates psychiatry from a lot of other like medical fields is that it almost exists only in the paradigm of our morality, our shared uh, societal values, right? The things that we should all agree upon. That's so true. I, ne- I never thought of it in those terms before, but you're absolutely right. We're not, there's no value judgment on a broken ankle, right. but when it comes to sociopathic behavior, there's a very clear sense of right and wrong that's operating. Right. Right. I sometimes I think about like what if imagine the world existed in a society that was entirely driven by ambition. That was the most primary emotion the or drive that that everyone subscribed to. Psychiatry in that society would be very different and very strange to me, you know. But sure. so anyway, we look at Logan Roy. He is someone who will he will cast aside anyone 
in his life. You know, he will throw anyone under the proverbial bus to get what he wants, and he will do anything to uh, emerge victorious in whatever squabble he's currently in, no matter how big or small. Um, So I'm bookmarking that thought because I'm going to interject two quick things. Do it. Thing one is that throughout the three seasons that we've seen, he Mm -hmm. repeatedly alludes to this idea of a game, Mm -hmm. that this is a game. Mm -hmm. And whether the game is business or life, it's a game. But a game carries with it the idea of a lack of seriousness and gravitas and also a lack of real ramifications beyond the game itself. The other thing that he says over and over again, and this is where I want to get into the weeds with you psychologically, is Logan Roy says, with some regularity, there is nothing more important to me than family. Yeah. The entire show, and this is not a spoiler, the entire show is about him screwing over in various uncomfortable, horrible, and difficult to watch ways, mm-hmm. people in his family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that second point, the line about nothing being more important than his family, is very, very clearly, maybe not in the first episode or the second episode, but by the end of season three, so obviously a manipulative ploy to keep his children in constant competition with one another, getting uh, them to do what he wants them to do. You know, when the show first started, I think that we had this idea it was going to be Game of Thrones, also a game where life and death actually just sort of get treated like part of the series of you know, how do you win the game. We even had the Red Wedding. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Logan is, it's sort of framed like which of these kids is going to end up taking over that the whole show is called succession. But in Logan's mind, there is no life after, there's no company after Logan Roy. It's all him, right? He won't ever voluntarily step down. And the kids one by one are starting to see that in various ways and responding to that over time. So, you know, when he says that, I, you know, everyone can probably relate that when your parents say something to you like that, that carries emotional weight for those of us who pride ourselves on not being sociopaths, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's my thing. I'm not a sociopath. Yeah. You know, we try to, we, we actually, it means something, you know, if, if your parents says that to you, you might actually react to it. And if your entire life that's been dangled as a carrot, just ahead of you and out of reach, you're going to, you know, reach for it every time because you're so dang hungry for that carrot. You wish if only you had the carrot, you could feel complete as a self, as a fully formed person. That I yeah. think is where it comes from. Oh, I, so there's so much to say here. Logan, it's revealed in, I believe it's season one, that Logan was physically abused as a child himself, they say he, his children say he never swims. And at the end of the episode, I believe it's Austerlitz, the one where they're at Connor's crazy New Mexico spread. He, we do see Logan swimming. And as he gets out of the pool, his back is covered with scars that we are led to believe, although it's not explicitly said, were from um, his caretaker, Uncle Noah, Mm-hmm. who took care of him and his brother Ewan, mm-hmm. with whom he has another dysfunctional relationship. So really, you know, we've, we've talked about this in the context of Don Draper. There's no 
There's no secure ground that's been established for Logan as what a family is, Mm -hmm. what love is, Mm -hmm. and everything seems to be transactional at best, survivalist at worst. Is that to the to the layperson as I am, is that is that narcissism? Is that sociopath? What what is that? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting framing because if if Logan Roy walks into the office, you know, it, it, much like some real life figures that we will not name on this podcast, mm. uh, if Logan Roy, we don't walks like to into, talk about real people. Real no, people we, are the Bru- real people are the Bruno of this podcast. Yeah, we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno, but. If Logan Roy walks in, you have to look at him and say, well, he's been very successful in these outward ways of achievement, right? The the empire he's built, the wealth he's accumulated. Now, where a, a really good psychiatrist might be able to try to make ends meet, if that's even the right expression, is where he's failed in his relationships. But does a narcissistic sociopath see that? Do they have access to the impact of that failure? Most times the answer is not really, you know, they don't actually get them there. You, Dr. Stern, or you, anyone in your profession. Honestly, I'm not good enough to get Logan Roy there without probably years of work that he would never agree to. Well, we saw what happened in that same episode I just referenced. That was actually the therapy episode where as a PR stunt, Logan decides I'm going to have a family therapy (laughs) and it is beyond a botch. It's a, it's a PR move gone awry where Logan has no intention whatsoever of actually honestly participating. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that it's, and especially, I mean, I don't know how to say this without just saying it, that a man of his age has lived, those tracks in his mind are so well worn, you know, they're so well developed that to make changes to them, the way that his mind works, the way that he interacts interpersonally with people, in particular children, his adult children, mm. you know, it's just, it's not a lost cause, but it's a very difficult climb. You know, it's a very, it's it's not something that I would have any confidence about where there might be more room for um, growth, emotional and interpersonal self-satisfactory growth is uh, in the children and in particular the children's children and, you know, on from there. So the family is not lost, but they certainly are starting off from a, a challenged position. Sure. So yes, let's go from the baseline of as long as you're alive, there's hope. But I will say the show begins at the very beginning. In the first episode, Logan has a potentially debilitating brain hemorrhage, which is the opportunity, as I've learned anecdotally and just through my reading as a non-medical secular person, it is sort of the opportunity to press reset and reboot Mm-hmm. on your previous ways, because you do, you are, you know, you, you mentioned the metaphor of tracks, right? But, you know, you're derailed. Right, and right. so you have the opportunity to go on a different path. And he very vehemently doesn't. And not only that, but he seems to be ramping up his speed, full speed ahead to some really, uh, I know, I know we don't use the word crazy, on this show, right? Mm-hmm. But can we agree that like 
I mean, maybe you can't, maybe you'll like lose your license or something like bore on the floor. Oh man. That was crazy. I'll, that I'll was actually the, crazy. I'll use the word maladaptive, really okay, egregious. You. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down because I'm gonna use I'm gonna like give myself a flashcard whenever what I want to. Referring to was like a a, tra- a traditional family game that they had where where grown Was it adults, or did he just move it or did he just make it up at the time? Oh I, I don't know. When I was watching that episode, I assumed it was something that he had done over decades to sort of like establish his dominance over his, oh, his relatives. Yeah. yeah no, but I, I, it could, I, I, it could have been. I, I felt like it was night at the improv, but either way. Either way. It's, it's not, it does not seem healthy. How's that? <laughs> no, I mean, the, his entire outlook is to, is to present the possibility of an actual human connection with someone and then yank it away just at the moment that he gets what he wants. And I think he delights in that, in that moment mm-hmm. of where the other person is vulnerable before him. And I think that actually, again, as a lay person, to me, that seems to be a common denominator in a lot of, in a lot of abuse Mm-hmm. physical and emotional that the abuser gets a real jolt of satisfaction or dopamine or what have you from the vulnerability of the victim and and i think that that power imbalance is something that logan derives his entire identity yeah. from yeah. from that power imbalance and I, you know, I just, I'll pre-label what I'm about to say as a little bit of Psychobabble 101. Uh, so bear with me. That's cool. This but is a safe space. This is a safe space. Good. So, you know, there is a concept in my field called identifying with the aggressor. And I'm oversimplifying because trauma is really complicated, tragic. All of those things are are true in the real world. But there is a concept that that professionals learn about identifying with the aggressor and what that looks like is someone who's been the victim of abuse taking on the role of the aggressor, right? Taking on the role of the abuser. Now, typically in an ideal world, that person sort of grows out of that and comes to terms with their terrible history of abuse in in a way that is more adaptive. But what Logan Roy has done is grow up to be an old man who continues to do this because it's the only thing that he, I don't even know if it's satisfaction that he gets out of it as so much as flow. It's the only way he knows how to exist. Right. By It's almost like, a sh- you know, that, that to make a, a really weird crude analogy, you know, sharks, I think, are always swimming. Like they can't stop swimming. That's how they function. Yes. And it's like if he's not conniving and manipulating and succeeding, then he doesn't. He ceases to exist as the Logan Roy that he is, you know, and he he's not capable. He can't imagine. He can't foresee a different version of himself that's content in any way. Yes, and I think we need to transition to the children. Logan has four children from two different marriages, and their respective responses to how they're treated. And I, I. I talk to my friends about this show all the time. And one of my friends very astutely said that there's a lot in how we relate to each one of those children and their individual responses to Logan's abuse. And so let's, let's start, I guess, 
I guess we should start chronologically. And Adam knows I'm rolling my eyes a little bit because we should start with Connor. But like, really, who cares about Connor? But and yeah, let's start. Let's start with Connor. And that's the thing. Who cares about Connor? Thing. Who cares about Connor is is almost like the basis of his entire. You know, I mean, I think they even go there in season three where he's like, I, I'm the, I was the heir, you know, like he, he right. confronts Kendall who is, you know, sort of heir apparent and, and Connor's like, but I'm, I'm sitting right here and I'm older than you, you know, no one even thinks about Connor, you know, which by the way, leads him to do the thing that is the most antithetical to that notion, like running for president. You know, which I guess you can do if you have the resources of a Connor Roy. But again, that doesn't actually fulfill you in the way that you're hoping because it doesn't actually connect you in any way or earn respect in any way that that, you know, Connor Roy is hoping for. Instead, well, it just well, someone, I, someone I know who's in politics said that a lot of people. And this is, <laughs> I know we don't talk about real people. A lot of people are in politics because in the approval of slash votes of the electorate, they're looking for the approval and appreciation that they didn't or don't yeah. get elsewhere in their lives, yeah. which I can totally see because literally no one appreciates Connor, including yeah. me. Yeah. Including <laughs> his uh, significant other. Uh, uh, yes. And, uh, and she is significant because in in order for her to even be there in the first place, he had to pay her because yeah. they met when she was a highly specializing call girl. Right. right. Um, I was so sad that her play didn't take off. You know, I, I thought of, of all the characters, I was like, oh, maybe she she'll have like a, a modicum of success, you know, uh, of oh. of like, yeah, I don't know why I, I wanted that for her because she she's sort of like done this devil's bargain where she's like, I'm going to be with Connor Roy, even though I don't care for him at all. But then it doesn't quite, you know, like actually the, the other end of the bargain doesn't hold up exactly. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right. And I mean, that's true of, I mean, getting getting us back to the the core family, that's true of every single one of them, right? So going down the line now from Connor to Kendall Roy, who we already mentioned, like in the very first episode of the show, I think he's like preparing to take over the company. Like he's ready. He thinks he can be a substitute for his dad. He can grow into those shoes, so to speak. And not only is it yanked away from him, but in doing so, his father reveals in him all of these 
severely sort of damaged psychological underpinnings, right? And and he's susceptible. The susceptibilities that he has are so, so over the top and widely, they're varied. You know, he's not only is he susceptible to addiction, as many people are, he's also susceptible to grandiosity. Sometimes he seems almost manic with how he describes the ways in which he's going to change the world, you know, and, and it's always, of course, hard to separate these things in terms of like substance-induced mood changes versus underlying bipolar disorder behaviors and things like that. All of this is to say he has a number of very sort of complicated, but I don't want to say obvious, but but sort of if he walked into a psychiatrist's office, there would be concrete places to start, you know, things that you could actually talk about. Uh, and he has some so insight. Where, do you, where do you begin with him? I mean, obviously it's an addictive personality and he's he's someone who, I don't know, in some ways I, I get the sense that he, at one point Logan called him a hothouse flower. And he's someone who has grown up in this extreme, extremely rarefied atmosphere of wealth where he's had access to and gotten anything he wants from, you know, there's one scene he's opening a box of, what are obviously, you know, multi-thousand dollar sneakers and, you know, just puts them on in the car. I mean, he's, anything he wants is at his disposal, yet he's he's profoundly unhappy. Yeah. He, he cannot make it work with his in-process ex-wife, Rava. Mm-hmm. He has two children with whom he cannot really yeah. connect. Yeah. I feel like he's, so he try and he tries he keeps on trying these almost Don Quixote, like, you know, charging it, not at windmills, but he's trying to take over. He's trying to take over. He tries to unseat his father after the stroke. It doesn't work out. He tries to be involved with Stewie and uh, Sandy Furness and taking over in a hostile takeover of uh, Waystar Royco. And then he makes the biggest mistake of his life and in he throws himself down into the pit of drugs and in doing so he inadvertently is part of the death of a teenage boy and when logan finds that out he hel- logan helps him get out of it but in doing so has leverage over him in which he basically owns whatever is left of his life. Right. It's another devil's bargain that he takes that in the end, he becomes the one that Logan is going to sacrifice to get out of this corporate scandal, this cruise scandal where, you know, like women were being what murdered or or harassed or, you know, all kinds of terrible things, really terrible things were happening within this company and it's, it was covered up. Um, and so he is ready to sacrifice Kendall and Kendall sort of says, yeah, no, I get it. And he asks, there's a scene, I think this is probably like the last episode of season two where he asks his father, do you think I could have done the job? And he sort of shrugs and Logan shrugs and says, I don't know, you gotta be a killer. And you're not a a killer. And it's so sad and ironic because he literally killed a guy, but he didn't have the killer instinct in business, which to most people is a compliment, you know, that you won't, you know, do the 
immoral thing to to succeed. Nice. But to Logan, it's the ultimate insult. To Kendall, I should say, from Logan, it's the ultimate, you could never fill my shoes song. Right. right. Kendall's bad, but he's not bad enough. Right. And I think that's a very logical transition to Shiv, who I think Shiv's very nickname, you know, <laughs> connotes the idea of a stab in the back. And Shiv is, Shiv's pretty shifty. Shiv is not, you know, Shiv is the one girl in, in these, in this, this tier of the family. And she is, she's tough at her own wedding. She is a consumed by political machinations where she is trying to get the information on the cruise debacle so that she can feed it to Logan's arch nemesis, the Bernie Sanders equivalent, who wants to eviscerate Logan Roy in every way possible. And personally, Tom, who actually inexplicably does seem to be in love with Shiv, at least at the beginning, she basically tells him like, like, oh, this this marriage, this is going to be an open marriage. On, on their wedding night, I think that... On their wedding was, night, yes. It was not discussed before, even oh, though there man. was a prenup the size of a phone book that was, you know, but this was not alluded to previously. And basically Shiv is, I think in many ways, the most ruthless because she is the most strategic of a thinker. Of all the kids, she seems to have the most of her father in her. You know, like the way she acts is closest, I would say, to how her father would act. But the multiple times they've set her up as like, maybe she's going to rise up and and be sort of, she ends up either by fault of her own or, 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 or other reasons, like failing or being sabotaged, you know, by her brother, for example. So it's another example of someone that is, you know, if the show is called Succession, the audience is set up to think, well, who, who's going to take over? But the trick is not, none of them are really, they're constantly being sort of set up to fail by their father. Yes. And I think that perhaps out of all of them, Shiv is the most aware of that. And I think that her awareness of that implicit and explicit plays into all of her relationships with every other person with whom she has any kind of relationship on the show. She is extremely hostile to her mother, who we meet in a few scenes in in both Shiv's wedding and her mother's own wedding. She is extremely, almost flirtatiously obsequious (laughs) slash feisty with her father Mm -hmm. in an attempt to duplicate him. That is niche, but she's not, you know, he's master level and she's like, I don't know, a yellow belt or something. But all relationships, she can't have a real relationship. Yeah. And, and I mean, that the, the best, most obvious example of that is with her husband, Tom, who looks at her like a regular person would look at her. And she looks at him like a tool, like a pawn, like, you know, something to be able to be manipulated, you know? Yes. Ironic, when you consider the end, we won't give away the very end of season three, which is just masterful. 
I thought, and how that uh, ended up. Because now we got to talk about Roman, who yeah. Roman is so bad and so good. Yeah, that, Please, I, you, you need to talk about Roman. I think that with several of the characters in this show, on paper, you could say, well, that's going to be a bad character. That's not going to be interesting or fun to watch. But the actors and the direction and the way that they all interplay together as siblings, et cetera, it's amazing, you know? And, and I feel like that is almost, there's maybe no one better at, at doing that than Roman, you know, uh, played by Kieran Culkin, who is like an actor that we're vaguely familiar with for years since he was like a little child. He's playing this sibling who is... I don't know. I've heard it described as like he's a a representation of the alt-right, you know, that he is – he doesn't treat anything with respect, but he's also – he's not serious, but he is serious. Take him seriously, but not literally, that kind of thing. You know, like there's a lot of – he says things that are quite, quite inappropriate. He's hilarious at the same time. When he says things that are inappropriate, is he just joking? Is that okay? Is it not okay to say what he says? I think it's in like the first episode. He like dangles a million dollars to a little kid if he can hit a home run or something like that. And then he pulls it away at the last second, essentially, when the kid, you know, he does cruel things. But over, over the course of three seasons, the viewer really gets to see that he's, of all the kids, he's the one that still harbors any sort of hint of actual hope for true love to his father, right? He he actually, again, we're not giving away the very, very end of season three here, but like he he does, even at the, when the show, you know, up to date, he still thinks there's a chance that he'll love his father and his father will love him back. He doesn't see it yet, that there's, that's not in the cards. And, and Perhaps the most, you know, I'll just say at this stage, as we get toward the end here of the podcast, like if uh, Roman Roy were on the couch, Mm. you have to, in addition to all of the other topics we've already covered, you have to, you have to get at some version of what's going on with his sexuality, right? Because Uh, I was just about to ask, what is that? Would you describe it for the, our listeners? So, okay. So Roman... Oh, yeah, yeah, Roman. So Roman, when the series opens, he's with Grace and then he transitions to Tabitha. Both of them are beautiful and, you know, look, he's he's a charismatic, fun, if if you like, I guess, a King Joffrey kind of fun. <laughs> if that appeals to you, this is your guy. But, you know, super, like, I mean, a really, really wealthy, like, there's an appeal and a sexiness to that as well. But he does not have sex with these women. He masturbates, like, near them. <laughs> but he does not and cannot get aroused by them as attractive as they are. Um, and then enter Jerry. Right. Jerry, who is the 60-something, and Roman's probably in his 30s, so 60-something general counsel of Waystar Royco. And he really, for lack of a better way of putting it, he really gets off on her kind of being an amateur dominatrix with him, yelling at him, chastising him. So uh, you got to crack that open for me because I I don't know what's up with that. So they sort of, I believe they probably fell into that dynamic 
out of natural circumstances in their positions within the company. He's always causing trouble and she was always in a position to scold him for those problems. Now, where it gets dicey is the arousal part of that is, you know, a, a lot of people experience sexual arousal around things that they're shamed, ashamed of. And we don't have a good sense, I don't think, of his relationship with his mother, for example, of, of you know, what, what we do know is that he is constantly fighting this fear that he's being seen as unserious, that he's not capable, that he's a, you know, no good, can never do anything right kind of character and he just wants to be taken seriously but so for him the shameful thing that's that for reasons you know that are up to his unconscious mind to decide the thing that gets him off is being scolded by this woman of authority right now you know in in psychiatry sexuality is an interesting sub area of conversation because you know generally if someone is uh happy in their art and, and is not hurting anybody in their in their uh, sexual experiences then you know we don't look down upon you know fetishes and things like that as long as there are no victims involved right everyone right. is is uh entitled to it's it's a free country to to enjoy yeah, I believe you're looking at the the formal medical expression no harm no foul <laughs> right now in his interpersonal relationships there is harm though right he, th- mm-hmm. these women don't the, the young women he's with don't understand why he's never attracted to them. And it's obviously not working out particularly well for Jerry. You know, it's it's a weird, very tumultuous and dangerous sort of setup for Jerry as well. And and the most just comic moment of season three of the entire show is when he sends a graphic photo that's meant for Jerry and it goes to Logan. And suddenly Logan has to try to understand why his son is doing this. And the layers of confusion just made me so happy, you know, to, to see that interaction. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, ay, ay, ay. yes, that was absolutely, I, I remember my jaw falling to the floor <laughs> when, when that happened. And it's such a wonderful show because for all the, and we didn't even we didn't even talk to because you know unfortunately time limits us. We didn't even talk about the relationship between Greg and Tom, yeah. which which has its own weird symbioses and also humor. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of humor in this show, and it's you know it's some is some is dark humor and some is just you know moments where people's humanity is trying to bubble up from this crust of suffering and like horrible behavior. Yeah. I love the question that people ask of like, well, is it a drama or a comedy? And the answer is yes. Like obviously both. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it is a drama. It's so dramatic, but it's so funny and interesting. And that's why we love it. You know, I'll be back uh, when it com- whenever it comes back. I'll be there the first night. So for sure, it. me too. Maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a lot. I don't know if we could do a live. I don't know if I could handle it. I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I really I want. I, I have to say that I this is a show. If you only watched it, I, I'll say this as we close out. Yeah. If you only watched this show when it came out. Do yourself a favor and rewatch it in sequence because mm. it's really something else when you can see it and binge it all together. And when you see the evolution happening 
over time, it, it's it's even more special. It's really, really remarkable. It's like the the Fabergé egg of of shows. Well said. Yeah, Perfect. and it's it's something that just gets better over time. It feels like it feels like the show gets deeper and more interesting, more complex every every year. So, yeah, what very well said. Thank you, Jordana. As always, a pleasure. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you as always. See you guys next time. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.